Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And a warm welcome to Book Off, the literary podcast with a difference. I'm Joe Haddow, and wherever you are in the world, it's great to have you with us. And today I'm joined by two writers who'll be going head to head in a war of the words a little later on. My first guest is a writer and editor whose books, Hot Mess, What Fresh Hell Is This, and Are We Nearly There Yet, have all been e-bestsellers. She is also the host of the Hot Mess Clubhouse podcast and events which celebrate funny women, and her work regularly appears in Stylist, Grazia, Heat, Now, and many others. Here to tell us about her latest novel, Bad Choices, it's Lucy Vine. Hello. Hello. Thank you for that intro. (laughs) I just get really embarrassed. My pleasure. Lovely to have you here. Don't get too embarrassed. That's it now. I'm not going to mention any of your other accolades. Don't, don't. Just the terrible things I've done. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. Which we'll leave till the end. And my second guest studied law at university before working as a lawyer. She always wanted to be a novelist and during her second maternity leave began writing poems and rhymes on motherhood and family life, which she posted on her blog, The Brightness of These Days. During her third maternity leave, she completed her debut novel, Everything's Perfect, which she'll tell us about today. It's Nicole Kennedy. Welcome to Book Off. Hello. Thank you for having me. When I was listening to Lucy's wonderful intro, I was thinking, God, what's he going to say about me? I've got anywhere nearly as exciting things to say as things you've said about Did I do you both justice? Gorgeous. You did an excellent job. (laughs) (laughs) And you you guys have have met, you've done an event before virtually, so this isn't, you know, this isn't like I need to introduce you both because you've sort of, you're literary friends now, Absolutely, best friends in the literary world. (laughs) Live buddies. Yeah. Over the next 40 minutes or so, we're going to talk about your new books. We're going to find out what you've been reading and enjoying recently. We're also, of course, going to do the book off where each of you is going to tell us about a book you love and you think we should all read. But we'll come on to that in a bit. Um, Let's talk about your latest novels first off, if I may. Lucy, Bad Choices, as I mentioned, uh, was out a bit earlier this year. And it's about two friends who've always shared everything. Could you just tell us, for those that haven't read it, a little bit about Nat and Zoe and set up their story? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, So, yes, Zoe and Natalie, it's about their friendship love story, as it were. Uh, So it covers 20 years, the book, beginning 
on the day they meet when they're both turning 14 and they're in the school loose, they're both crying. So they kind of start bonding through the wall, uh, through the cubicle walls and discover some shared passions and the fact that they're both just starting their periods and stuff like that. Um, so decide to be best friends. And then so every chapter kind of picks up a year later uh, on or around their birthdays and kind of follows their many highs and lows and and lots of silly bad choices as it were and um, some good choices occasionally very occasionally and and just sort of everything that you go through in those terrible years in your uh, late teens early 20s and through into your 30s Um, so yeah I wanted to do a love story that was platonic because I love friends, my friends are my world. And I don't think it gets enough attention, the love we feel for our friends. And it can feel sometimes quite like romantic love and the heartbreak you feel when you fall out with a friend and stuff is akin to, you know, when you break up with somebody and stuff like that. So it was super fun to write. And I hope it's funny. And I hope it's, you know, moving at times. And just, I want just want to make people laugh really a lot of the time. (laughs) That's... Which you definitely do because oh, it's hilarious. Oh, Joe, thank uh, you. Really <laughs> and I've just started watching on a friend's recommendation a, a TV show called Pen 15. Have you heard or seen this show? No, is it good? Should I? Well, it's written by and stars two women in their, I reckon, early 30s, but they're playing themselves as 13 year old. Amazing. Girls, right? And the rest of the cast are all of age. They're all sort of. 13, 14, 15, playing 13-year-olds. And it's about female friendship at school, being 13, going through a lot of stuff that's covered in your book. And I was thinking, oh, my God, there's that's there's a real parallel there of, like, that, and it's set in America, that one. So it's 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 stuff that we can relate to, but it's it's it's, it's American. Whereas, you know, this, I was like, yeah, it's bringing back an awful lot of <laughs> memories for me of my girlfriends at school. Yeah. 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 Did you have a good time at school, Joe? Were you, were you Mr. Popular? I had a great time. I had a great time. Did yeah. you really? And part of the reason is because, yeah, my best friends were, were women. And I think that's what got me through. Because women are the best. Yeah. <laughs> that's it, you know. <laughs> Oh, that's so lovely. Well, I definitely think there's been a big thing about friendship uh, in the last couple of years, hasn't there? Like, I mean, I when I was, did have you seen Shrill, you guys, the TV show, the Lindy West inspired TV show? It's so good, and that's and that's sort of the central premise. Is I mean, it's it's about being fat and lots of other issues and stuff like that. But at the core of it is two wonderful best friends and female best friends. And when I was watching it, I'd already written Bad Choices, and I was like, oh shit, there's quite a lot here that's uh, like in my book. And I was thinking, oh shit everybody's gonna think I copied shrill <laughs> but still yeah watch it it's great <laughs> well I will actually I'll, I'll finish pen 15 then I'll move on to shrill and then I've, I've read your book watch pen 15 and watch shrill I'm covered got the friendship thing yeah well done <laughs> got it um and Nicole in in your book everything's perfect this explores female friendship actually it's it explores motherhood and the the main thing I thought was that it focuses on the sort of pressures of our modern lives. So I wondered if, if you could set up your story for us here. Yeah, I mean, similarly to Lucy, when Lucy was talking then, a lot of that resonated with what I was trying to do with Everything's Perfect. So um, I wanted to write a love story for friendship as well. Um, mine differs from Lucy's in that mine is more of a love at first sight. So they haven't been friends since they were children. Um, they they meet by chance, but they're, in, they've, they're very different people. So one is an Insta mum at the top of her game. She's got like 2 million followers. She's got her perfect gender neutral twins and life looks like it's going really well. 
And then the other protagonist is a new mum who is struggling with motherhood um, and in addition is very anti-social media for reasons in her past. She finds it cliquey and it's quite a triggering um, a triggering thing for her. So it's a, an unlikely friendship that forms and blossoms. But then uh, Beth, who is the new mum who is anti-social media, inadvertently goes viral and um, the question is whether their friendship can survive on the online world. It's really good. I highly recommend. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're laughing um, in a good way, Joe. <laughs> I am. No, I am. Because the, the reason I'm laughing, in all honesty, the reason I'm laughing is because I hate social media, right? And every time I use it, I use it begrudgingly. I genuinely sort of hate it and everything about it. And I wondered what both of your relationships with social media are like. Lucy, maybe you go first. I oh I have so many ups and downs with it and I I feel like I wish I didn't have to do anything with it except in those moments when I do want to do things I'm I'm better with words funnily enough um so I prefer Twitter even though it can be you know sort of super toxic but it's fine I've blocked Piers Morgan I don't it's much better now um but around bad choices coming out my publishers did say like you know a lot of your readers are on Instagram most that's where they mostly are um so I I really try and made a big effort with Instagram stories and stuff like that but I'm just rubbish at it and they keep bloody changing how it works as well I've been trying to post in the last few days and there's some like thing new thing you have to you have and it showed me exactly how to do it and I've already bloody forgotten and I'm really annoyed about it so I'm just never going to do an Instagram story again because I don't know how anymore (laughs) But yeah, so um, I'm on the fence. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Uh, What about you, Nicole? Lucy, firstly, I think you're very good on social media. You're really, you're really good. I think your voice comes through really authentically. You're brilliant. Thank you. Uh, For me, a bit kind of similar, like a bit love, hate. I only really do it when I really feel like doing it. I don't like force myself into it. So I do sometimes go like, you know, for longish periods where I don't really post anything. But I've never felt a pressure to post until becoming a writer. I do feel like there's, and my publishers haven't explicitly said this to me, but I just do feel like there is an expectation that you are posting more mm. and that you're online more. I'm I'm writing my second book at the moment, and I've noticed if I go on social media first thing in the day, I feel like it kind of drains me a bit of creativity. I think it taints the day, Nicole. I think it taints I do, the, I do. Work, the I agree. work or whatever it is you've got on. Yeah, but yeah, then what so if you've got I'm, a notification, I'm, guys? I'm not going on it. <laughs> but I won't know. I don't. I'm I don't. Not, I, I don't get notifications. Couldn't give so. a shit. Yeah, <laughs> so strong. How do you do have such strength within you? <laughs> no notifications, Lucy. Switch them off. Be free. No, I can't. <laughs> How dare you be better at this than me? <laughs> so, so I don't. I don't have notifications. I don't go on at the moment until the until like I've done my minimum amount of words that I need to do. I'm right. not writing at the weekend, so I go on at the weekend kind of as and when. But um, like, uh, sorry, I was saying it helps. I've got like three smallish kids. And so from the second they wake up, I'm like busy. And yeah. that does help with not like otherwise I probably would spend a lot more time on social media because it would just, you know, be easier for me to access. Yeah, because in the book, it's it, it looks at that sort of the rabbit hole that you can that one could go down. Right. Where they where essentially people are judging themselves against whatever they're seeing on Instagram or whatever you know and it's like no one should no one should be doing that (laughs) yeah I I, I do think like there's there's lots of negatives to it but I did try in my book to also cover like I think there are lots of positives I think there is a sense of community as long as you 
kind of understand it for what it is and you're not comparing yourself all the time there there is a sense mm-hmm. of community on there you can get support on there it is a way to meet people um who are going through a similar thing to you like for example motherhood um i i found out there like in the last couple of years that i have a, a BRCA breast cancer gene and when i found out i didn't know anyone else that had it and i have found support for that online um in okay. kind of you know facebook groups like i do think there are positives to it but you yeah you definitely need to be kind of mindful of how you're using it and not fall down the hole of comparing yourself all the time mm-hmm. i want to come back and ask you in a moment about you know because you've talked very openly about the pressures of motherhood and you're saying that you found people online and stuff to, to talk with I want, I want to come back and just pick up on that in a moment um to go back to bad choices lucy and as i said you know it's it's a very funny book and some of the stories in it feel so real to me thinking back to the days of being 14 early 20s etc did you how much did you draw on real life experiences for it um it's tricky when you get to your sort of fourth fifth book or whatever because you've kind of used most of your best experiences um but it was really fun to kind of look through old diaries from when I was 14 15 or whatever especially for those first couple of chapters where they are really young because you just feel stuff so passionately don't you and you're so convinced that this is so important and this is how you will always feel about a thing um and I I really enjoyed kind of trying to inject some of my um some of myself in it but they're also so different Zoe and Natalie that um I wouldn't say either of them are based on me but certainly there are elements but also um it was funny because around that time when I was writing it my mum actually um lent me her teen diaries and she had a sort of she was very different experience to me at school because she was super cool and like going out with the cool boys and stuff and I was you know in a cupboard a lot of the time but the same kind of thing of like just feeling so sure and so passionate and caring so much and but also not knowing what you're doing and 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 all of those kind of mixed emotions and and it's such a weird thing especially being a girl I'm sure it was tough being a boy as well Joe. but being a girl, like your body's doing weirder things. Like I know you've got your oh no, your voice is changing. Poor Joe. <laughs> but we've got tits it's, it's coming. Not tough being a boy. Yeah, it's, it's not, not. Sorry, it's. I mean, I'm sure it's difficult in some ways, but we literally like are turning into something else. Like our bodies changing, hormones yeah. are going mad, and and like I I woke up one day when I was 13, and I suddenly had tits, and it was so, it was almost like overnight. And how do you get used to that? I mean, the closest I can think of, I guess, I've never been pregnant, but is being pregnant, like your body changing in front of you, and it must be quite a strange experience. So you've got all that going on, and you're also clueless about the world, and it's just such an interesting thing. And I I would have quite liked to do more of the teenage years, but my editor sort of thought it might might be a bit too YA to kind of do that. So we did skip from sort of 14 right, okay. to, to 18, I think, in those early days. But even so, your 20s is sort of quite like being a teenager, I think, in hindsight, really patronising hindsight. I think I knew nothing again in my 20s. And you, you get to sort of 25, you're like, oh, my God, I know everything. I'm so, so grown up now. And you're not, like, you still don't know what you're doing. And probably not at 35 either. And... So I, I just, I think I really wanted to do that. So so I suppose all of that is is me in, in the book. Um, but I wouldn't say necessarily a lot of the specific experiences because I've used a lot of them up, <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> 
yeah. And when I was 21, 22, I literally thought, I know everything and I can do anything. And it's hilarious to think back now and you go, oh, mate, you were so <laughs> naive. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's about that time. It's like when you're, like when you're 14, you're 18, you're 22. It's like you think I know exactly what I want and what I think and you don't really. Or you think, you know, you might think passionately about one thing or it might seem like the most important thing in the world and to look back on it now is, I mean, that's why hindsight's quite great. Yeah. <laughs> to look back and go, oh, you, need, you needed to chill out. Um, Nicole, you talked quite openly about the pressures of motherhood. You've written this book and I wondered if you had found that you'd got quite a, you know, a lot of response from other women to the book or to to the blog that you did a while back? Yeah, I have. That's been a really nice thing about it, actually. Like, I've had messages from people, primarily people that I know, but a few people that I haven't met before saying that it really resonated okay. with them. I've had a couple of messages from um, women who lost their mother as a child because one of the characters did, and I'm fortunate that's not something I've experienced. So I was, you know, quite nervous about writing that and took a lot of care over it. So it's been nice to have... Yeah positive feedback about that because obviously it's not something that I would have you know wanted to do a, a shoddy job of yeah it's it's been nice I have found in general it's my it's my debut novel and people have been so nice um you hear from so many people you've lost touch with but in you know just to say oh I've read your book and I thought it was really nice and that's because yeah, they're looking to really see if they're in it yeah maybe maybe <laughs> yeah <laughs> But I think with, with both of these books, which are, you know, there are similarities, which is why it's great to have you both on, but they're obviously, they are very different books. But I think the sort of, the humour is what maybe a lot of people are looking for at the moment in, in, in the art and escapism that, that they're watching and reading and stuff, because it's, there's there's so much news and, and dire stuff happening around us that it's like, God, just can we just have a bit of a light, you know, relief and just get into something? And I think that both books are, are offering that. And I I imagine, could be wrong, Lucy, that's also partly why you, you wrote it the way you did, because because of the time you were writing it, which I imagine was in the pandemic. Yeah, it was. Um, and it, it, yeah, it's miserable, isn't it? And it's very hard to write something kind of fun and silly when the world is crashing and burning. Um, and for the first few yeah. months when I was trying to write it, I just couldn't, I couldn't, I was too obsessed with the news, really, because it was, it was right at the beginning of right. the lockdown times and when it was all really starting and, and seemed like, it really did seem like the world was ending. Um, and um, I, I was too, I'd pick up, my phone and just start reading the news and the stats and the and the death toll and everything every day and then I was like right off to write my silly book about friendship and it, I couldn't I couldn't do it so I actually had to sort of stop doing that really I had to sort of limit myself and there's a lot of sort of guilt about doing about not watching the news especially when I was trying to kind of uh, wean myself off it because I felt like I should know everything and I should know what what terrible things were going on but um I mean for my own mental health and also for the sake of my career I had to kind of really tone it down and then and then when I did stop uh obsessing over the news I it just came out in such a rush I wrote it so quickly because it was just such a joy to be lost in kind of fun and jokes and and I mean there are a few kind of deeper and and um, more serious bits in the book but it's a lot of sort of silly <laughs> running jokes and and just trying to be fun and and remembering the joy in life but it, it is weird because obviously yeah. 
I then, because there were so many, because it was every year, this book, um, I wrote it in lockdown and sort of the last year was 2021 um, when it was coming out, obviously this year, that's what the year is. Yep. <laughs> I know what year it is. Um, Just check in. Yep, it is. <laughs> yep. Still 21. It is 21, right? Yep. We're still bloody in it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah, it's gone by like that as well, hasn't it? But I had to sort of, I was, because everything was still changing, I'd, I'd ended it in quite a way that was like, oh, that'll all be over, of course, by then. But, um, you know, page proofs were coming around a few months before we were, and I, it was like, oh, we're still in lockdown, it still doesn't look like we're coming out of it. So I was having to kind of rewrite the final chapter and add lots of things in about tests and stuff like that, um, just to kind of cover myself. And it, it was weird, because I know most books have just ignored covid and and fair enough because who wanted to include it but because i'd done so much so many cultural references throughout like every year in the book mentions at least one or two significant things that happened that year it felt like i had to mention covid and and lockdown and all that um and i think a few a few books have more recently been referencing it whether or not it's sort of a set in the actual pandemic thing they've definitely not shied away from it being like no this is a thing that's not only happened but will will affect us now going forward so it's you know especially I think for crime writers and stuff for for authors who are writing about the now um it's probably harder to ignore it but (laughs) no sadly um and just a quick note from from you Nicole on 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 that same question really because you said obviously you didn't you you were writing it whilst also looking after three kids and you didn't write the weekends and you very cleverly didn't look at social media before you wrote but did you enjoy the experience of did you did it take you away from the you know the the real world while you were writing it yeah for sure I mean I wrote mine a long while ago actually (laughs) I wrote mine okay I started in September 2017. I'm always wowed right. by how quickly Lucy can write. She's a very fast writer. I was um, <laughs> I was on my mat leave and I wrote my first draft um, then and then signed shortly after with my agent and then worked on it with her for like another 12, 13 months before I went on submission. And I got my mm. publishing deal January last year, just before we went, you know, it was before everything went terrible um so I did some editing during lockdown but I didn't do any new writing I had you know my three sons here nearly all the time and I think if I'd have tried to be writing anything on top of that I'd have probably just lost my mind yeah. <laughs> I'm quite good at Fair knowing enough. where my limitations lie so but, but when I could when I could get out I, I work in a garden office when I could get out down here and you know even just do an hour or something of editing like it was it was a real like just break from everything that was going on. Mm. Um, I've always found writing an escape. So I think if you can write when something like that's happening, it's a really good thing. I agree. Because it takes your complete focus then as well, doesn't it? And you're in that world and you're in, you know, even if you are editing, you know, it's like you're still concentrating on that one thing and you're blocking everything else out. So it's probably very good for you. I always ask my guests what they've been reading and enjoying recently because it's good to champion some other authors and books. And pretty much every time I ask, the guests have read loads and it's been like, oh, this one, this one, boom, boom, boom. Um, Lucy, have you found time to read? Have you been tucking into anything new or old recently? Um, Recently, in the last few weeks, I'm supposed to have started properly writing this new book. And I, I always struggle a bit with reading when I'm starting writing because I have a terrible tendency to just start writing in the style of the book I'm reading which is not advisable you know (laughs) 
Um, yeah, so I, I'm very kind of wary of reading too much, but at the same time, I also feel very conscious of wanting to support as many other authors because the author world is so kind and so lovely and they've been so supportive of me. So I do try to read as much as I can, but, um, I'm also terrible at remembering what anything's about. So I will tell you some books I've been reading, but don't ask me what happens in them. (laughs) Um, So actually the last book I I read was On a Night Like This by Lindsay Kelk, which is out in November and is so fun and lovely and funny. And it's just such a nice, like get away from the world kind of book. So if you're looking for absolute escapism, especially like Christmassy themed and it's very Cinderella-y, wonderful book she's so funny um and there's a really good joke oh god about blowjobs but I can't remember it so I won't try and butcher it um also just read all the fun of the fair by Caroline Hulse um which she she is so brilliant and so funny I don't know if you know her her last book or no I think it was her first book was called the adults and it was brilliant but this is I think her third oh yeah I remember that yeah she's brilliant and it's such a lovely lovely book it's from the perspective actually of a teen girl in the 90s so I felt some kind of affinity there um that's so good and and basically she always wants to go to the fair but there's some like big family secrets see I do remember stuff about books this is good actually it's coming back to me as I say it um but yeah oh and pretending by holly Bourne has just come out in paper book and is so so good she's one of my favorite writers i think she's i love that one too absolutely wonderful yeah it's she i don't think anybody does dark and funny like her she's the Mm. darkest like writer and yet still you're laughing every other page it's it's incredible she's so talented Andy Osho asking for a friend I read that a few months ago that's really really good nothing I wouldn't do Sarah Ella Osbeck she's brilliant oh and I, I just read uh Beth O'Leary's next book the no show but that's not out till April I don't think next year and it's so good oh, <laughs> she's blind. so brilliant. brilliant get it on pre-order because she is so so good she's so good oh what a list Gosh, loads to write down and and to to discover there. And um, the fabulous Holly Bourne was was on with us um, on our last series, actually talking about pretending. And yeah, we are big fans. What about you, Nicole? What have you been reading and enjoying? If you have been reading and enjoying, I have been. I think I've been I've been listening to the most over the summer holidays as I'm up to like book three of Harry Potter. But that's probably oh, right. probably not news to anyone else. But they're really good. <laughs> I've had lots of long car journeys in, around uh, North Wales in the summer holidays listening to Harry Potter. Um, <laughs> but no, I have I have also been reading books for adults. Um, I was going to mention, I'm reading at the moment, one of, I don't know if you've come across, Talia Hibbert has a sister trilogy, The Brown Sisters. Okay. Um, I'm currently reading the final one, which is um, Act Your Age, Eve Brown. And I think these are going to be like worthy successors to Marion Key's The Walsh Sisters. They're they're really optimistic, heartfelt, fun books, but they also deal with, you know, quite difficult themes. And her representation is just so fantastic. Like there's the, the characters, so for example, in Eve Brown, the characters are both autistic, but that isn't the focus. You know, it's a love story. It's a romance. And that's not a focus. They are characters who happen to be autistic. And so it's a really it's a really powerful, actually, um, account of how autistic people can be treated and um, how society views them. And while that's not that's not the focus of the story, they're just really brilliant love stories. I think it's really I think it's really cool that we're starting to see more characters like that coming through in commercial fiction. I think that's been mm-hmm. lacking for some time. 
the first sister book is Chloe Brown and Chloe has fibromyalgia and um, the the male lead in that in that one is recovering from trauma from a difficult relationship but again these sound like really heavy books but they're not they are they're like sunshine they're really brilliant so I highly recommend all three of them so there's Chloe Brown Danny Brown and Eve Brown um, oh, brilliant and I've really enjoyed those and um, probably I've I've mainly been reading really light stuff this year but a book I keep thinking about that I read earlier on this year is um, My Dark Vanessa I don't know if you've um, yeah. read that one but I just found that so that's a 15 year old girl who's groomed by her teacher and I found it just it's really powerful it really makes you think about consent and victimhood like do you expect a victim to behave in a certain way to be sympathetic towards them? Um, it raises so many questions. It was the sort of book I wanted all my girlfriends to read and then for us to sit around with a glass of wine and, you know, really talk about it. It's so, just so relevant and, yeah, written beautifully. It's almost like the writing's literary, but it's it's got the, like, the propulsion of a commercial work. So, um, yeah, I really love that one too. Yeah, it stayed with me as well. Um, it's Kate... Elizabeth Russell, right? Is that who? Yes, that's it. Right. Yeah. yeah. Very powerful book. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Oh, well, thank you for those brilliant recommendations from from, from across a very wide range of authors and books we've got loads to loads to tackle there um but now it's time for the book off and this is where each of you is going to tell us about another book that you love uh that you think we should all read and you're going to tell us why um we'll do a bit of admin in terms of who's going first who's getting the bell and the horn but first of all let's find out what you're putting up for the book off so lucy what's your book of choice the day of the triffids by john wyndham I was just holding up my my 1970s copy that's still got my mum's maiden name in the front. <laughs> oh, brilliant. That's lovely. <laughs> and Nicole, what are you going for? What's going up against Day of the Triffids? I am going, I think these are quite different reads. I am going for <laughs> The Idea of You by Robin Lee. <laughs> <laughs> um, two very different books. Yeah. 
This is going to be fun. Um, now then, Nicole, would you like to go first or would you like to see what Lucy's made off and go second? I will go first, please. Okay. And Lucy, I always say you've got three minutes. You don't have to use the three minutes, but if you're still talking at the three-minute mark, you're either going to get rung out by the school bell or honked by the bicycle horn. Which would you like at your three minutes? Um, the school bell is too triggering for me, uh, so book, uh, the bike one, please. <laughs> so you're going to get the bicycle horn. Very good. <laughs> I don't want to don't want to cause any triggering. <laughs> um, okay, I'm putting three minutes on the clock for you, Nicole, and tell us all about the idea of you. Over to you. The idea of you is the escapist read we all need right now, as we near or hope we near the end of the pandemic. It follows Selene, a 39-year-old French-born owner of an art gallery who lives in LA with her teenage daughter, her husband having left her for a younger woman, and her improbable love affair with Hayes, the 20-year-old British frontman of the hugely successful boy band August Moon. The two meet when she escorts her daughter and some friends to an August Moon concert. Hayes flirts with Selene, invites them to a party, and then pursues her when she's back in LA. They embark on an affair that's intended to be light and easy, but quickly form an intense emotional connection. As the strength of their feelings build, so too do the stakes, and Selene has to decide how much she is willing to risk in her pursuit of happiness. Each chapter is set in a different place. As well as LA, locations include New York, the south of France, South America and Japan, as the book follows August Moon on their world tour. This would be high-stakes glamour at the best of times, but in a second year of travel restrictions, it's escapist fiction at its best. Prose is energetic and vivid and includes lavish amounts of well-written sex, which advances the narrative and the emotional connection of the main characters. So on one level, it's a steamy love affair between two genetically blessed individuals with a large age gap. But while it's a fun, engaging, addictive read, it also has something to say. It's a retort to the standard portrayal in the media and entertainment industries of women disappearing and ceasing to become relevant after a certain age. It addresses the representation of art generated by women in comparison to men. Selene herself, when praising August Moon's pop music, notes, We have this problem in our culture. We take art that appeals to women. Film, books, music, and we undervalue it. We assume it can't be high art, especially if it's not dark and tortured and waving. We wrap it up in a pretty pretty pink package and resist calling it art. As well as Selene not conforming to the standard portrayal of a mother whose ex-husband is now dating a younger woman, neither is Hayes a boy band stereotype. He's thoughtful, kind and emotionally articulate. He's more often than not sipping water rather than getting drunk and taking advantage of groupies. The novel addresses the claustrophobic nature of celebrity, the dark and obsessive quality of fandom and the tension between celebrity and privacy. There are some unsettling scenes as Hayes and Selene are pursued by fans physically and online. One of the things I love most about it is it's a sleeper hit. It was originally published in 2017 with its sales having climbed every year since. While that's an intoxicating enough prospect for a writer, as a reader, it's even better, knowing that the book's garnered the sort of word of mouth buzz that can't be generated by a marketing department. It's a sexy, electric, addictive read with compelling storytelling, believable characters and the ability to transport you away from the pandemic for 10 or so hours. Whoa! Fabulous! With five seconds to spare as well. That was brilliant, Nicole. Practice. Um, <laughs> I love the sound of that. We're going to come back and talk about it uh, in a bit more detail, but you can have a little rest and a breather now. Uh, And Lucy will take a giant sip of water as she gears up (laughs) 
for her book off pitch. Um, I'm putting three minutes back on the clock then for you to tell us about Day of the Triffids. Over to you. Picture the scene. You wake up wearing bandages after surgery on your eyes and you cannot see, but something around you is very wrong. You're in central London and there is nothing but silence. There are no nurses, no doctors when you shout out. There's no family by your bedside. Something bad has happened. But you know if you take your bandages off too soon, you might be blind forever. Do you chance it? Your only option is to get up, make your way to the door and feel your way out into the hospital corridor. The Day of the Triffids has the most arresting opening scene of any book I've ever read. I still remember that pure thrill of anticipation running through me when I first read it as a child. It's a scene I still think about often. It's a scene I dream about. It's a scene Danny Boyle and Alex Garland stole brilliantly for epic film 28 Days Later. So after that killer opening, it only gets more awesome. Our hero, Bill Mason, the man in the hospital bed, does remove his bandages, realising thankfully that he can see, and discovers that overnight, a green meteor shower has blinded the entire world. Because his eyes were covered, he missed it and was therefore one of very few saved from this evil meteor, a meteor that may or may not have been an orbiting chemical weapon, might have been aliens, we never really find out. Bill heads out into London, where he finds an absolute hot mess of dead bodies, vicious looters and apocalyptic chaos. He also finds someone else who can see, a woman called Gisela Platon, who missed the meteor because, and this is hilarious, she was so fucking hungover she slept through it. Together they try to find safe haven, but they quickly discover there is another danger. Hello the Triffids! The Triffids are a kind of plant that was discovered just before all this mass blindness business. Uh, Rumoured to be a USSR creation, they're basically a huge green thing able to walk and sting people to death. And that's exactly what they're now doing without anyone to stop them. Bill, who happens to be a Triffid scientist, how handy, and Gisela must figure out how to escape them. But they soon realise the true danger isn't from the Triffids, it's from terrible, terrible humans who keep bloody kidnapping them and forcing them into servitude. Is the day of the Triffids about decolonisation? Is it about the dangers of other world powers? Is it about humanity destroying the planet and the planet fighting back? Or is it just a fucking cool dumb story about mad plants? Who can tell? It's got all these layers and all these important messages, but at its heart, The Day of the Triffids is a really good story. Don't be put off by the sci-fi genre. Don't be put off by the fact that it was written in the 50s. Don't be put off by that clunky extra the in the title that definitely shouldn't be there. I mean, what was wrong with Day of the Triffids? It's a brilliant book full of Wyndham's trademark creepy eeriness and has so many twists and turns you never know what's going to happen next. And maybe best of all, it could help put the last couple of years of real-life apocalypse into perspective. <laughs> Just getting my last sentence in there. Yeah, yeah that um, was really good. Brilliant. <laughs> I feel Excellent like I could cheer. Pitch. That was brilliant, Lucy. Brilliant. How beautifully delivered. As well. Thank you very much. My drama, my theatre studies GCSE coming out there. <laughs> Um, fabulous pictures, both of you. I'll talk about Day of the Trivets in a moment, the Day of the Trivets. The idea of you, though, is a book I don't know, Nicole. And honestly, when you were talking about it, I was like, oh, I was ticking so many, like an art gallery in LA. Boom, tick. Love it. Exactly. I love LA. You want to be there. I want to be there. You want to be there. I want to be with them and hanging out. It's, I mean, 
well-written sex. I've underlined that because we, we've talked Tongue. about that a lot on this podcast, strangely. And uh, I know, with, I knew my audience. In fact, exclusively <laughs> with uh, female authors who say, um, you know, it's actually when it's bad written, it's bad, isn't it? You know, and it really sticks yeah. out, and it's and it's you can really uh, forget that it's hard to write properly. So I've underlined that because that is very important in a sexy electric book, as you described it. But here's the thing that really stuck out for me, besides the LA art gallery escapism read that we might all need, is that it says something about women who make art. And I think that's the most important thing that I've taken from your pitch, because as someone who loves art all art whether that be a filmmaker a writer you know I, th- I really think that's it's so important and I think when we're when I'm looking at gallery you know in galleries or t- t- looking at filmmaking it's it's still so heavily male and like even though one might argue well we're seeing this and that and other it's like no but those female artists are not being put on the same level as so many others so that in itself is just a huge it just sounds brilliant I mean it just sounds like there's so much in it there is and the the art angles is weaved throughout so she'll she'll they're all fictional artists but she you know she mentions fictional artists and um, often the art is also making a point that's running alongside the text so although you've got this right you know like super addictive love story basically you'd also have this commentary on women and art and how they're how they're portrayed and viewed and it's it's a really a really good read you've sold it to me so that's a Wonderful. great pitch and i've put it Please. on the list the ever-growing list of books and you've already got the copy lucy so that's easy for you you could just reach over to the shelf later and day of the triffids has come up not on not in a book off pitch but it has come up quite recently a couple of times interestingly yeah and there was a film out a couple of years ago maybe 18 months ago called little joe which was a BFI-funded film, I think British film, which was, you know, it wasn't Day of the Triffids, but it was about plants and it was about, like, these dangerous plants that squirt you with things and it makes... Anyway, you have touched on so many amazing things about this book, which is that the opening is so good and yet you think, how how do you top it then, Wyman? And he, he goes and writes the rest of the book, right? Which is amazing. And... You also said, which I don't think I've probably thought of it enough. You like, is it about humanity destroying the planet, which it probably is? But is it is it also just a fucking weird book about plants? Might be that. Might be so many other things. Decolonization. Like I've never really even thought about that. I've just thought, oh, it's just a good book, isn't it? Yeah, it's a good read. Whereas you've actually made me think I want to reread it you should reread it it's so good I reread it in a sort of like comfort eating way kind of it's just so fun and and interesting and there's so many layers to it I'm still pitching here well I think you know and it is an amazing story isn't it and you're right I wonder if some people might be put off from reading it because it's a 1950s book that's sci-fi that is totally me you would you that would put like, you off, I have, Nicole. I have to be honest. Like that would put. So Lucy mentioned she was doing it earlier, and I had a quick Google, and I thought, oh wow, that's not the sort of book I'd read. But I, honestly, after listening to your pitch, I think, oh wow, that sounds brilliant. It's just so much fun and so so twisty and cool and fun. And I've already said fun, but they have also made loads of TV and film and radio adaptations of it. And I mean, I don't know about the radio ones, but the, it's all been terrible. <laughs> 
so I think that would also put it put anyone off if they've seen it I mean terrible in a brilliant way that I really enjoy I, I love sci-fi TV really bad stuff but I think that would really put people off reading it and it is brilliant it's great you know I do think Day of the Trippets is one that people sort of know and they, it might even think they've read but they haven't actually or it's one of those sort of classics that again you go oh, I think I'd read I'll read a different you know I don't want to read 1950 it's probably going to be a bit a bit dull or a bit dated and actually hearing you talk about it has made me want to go and reread it which is which is an amazing thing and it's made Nicole think oh I might quite like that actually so I mean both of these books sound brilliant you've made them sound brilliant there was fantastic pictures I want to be in LA in that art gallery having lots of sex I mean <laughs> we can make that happen a 20 year old rock star don't we all Joe <laughs> I but uh, do you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna take day of the trippies you know I'm gonna take yes! day of the trippies because <laughs> you well I think you did such a passionate pitch I thought I didn't think I would pick it going into it because I've like I've read it I think people know about it whereas the idea of you is like this sleeper hit as you mentioned Nicole that perhaps needs like us to champion it a little bit more but I th- you've swung it for me you've yes. swung it for me I am um, weirdly that, uh, happy about this guys. <laughs> I'm definitely going to be checking out Robin Lee, though, and the idea of you. So thank you, Nicole, for putting that on our radar. Well, it, um, it's recently been republished in the UK, Joe, and it's a it's a Richard and Judy pick for this summer. So I think I think it's going to suddenly be like everywhere. Everywhere. And you heard it here first, right? Well, no, but yeah, let's pretend. <laughs> <laughs> Joe heard it here first. That's the, <laughs> the only one who yeah, I heard it here first. <laughs> Yeah, nearly everyone I talked to when I mentioned it are like, oh my God, either I love that book or someone else told me I had to read it. So I, I don't think I'm, you know, doing any trend setting here, but we'll, I'll, we'll go with that. Unbelievable. Oh, Unbelievable. <laughs> I just, I really, I really wanted you to toe the party line there, Nicole, but never mind. <laughs> <laughs> no, everyone's listening going, oh, you silly idiot. Like, I've, I've read that book. It's amazing. <laughs> but if you this haven't. Like I've had the hey. proof for ages. <laughs> I really, I really want to read it. You've, you've made me want to pick it up, and I will dig out. I don't think I've got a 1970s copy of Day of the Chiffords, but I will, I will dig out the old. I'll ask my mum if you can borrow this one. Reread. Thank you. Because it's, it's not a long book, is it? As I recall, no, it's, quite it's a, tiny. It's, it's quite this is what I mean. It's like, so punchy yeah, novel. Yeah. Thank you so much for for those pictures, for those recommendations, and Bad Choices by Lucy Vine is out now. It's published by Ryan, and Everything's Perfect by Nicole Kennedy is also out now, published by head of Zeus and it's been an absolute pleasure to have you both on the podcast thank you for being here and I hope very soon we might be able to do it in person in LA in LA in an art gallery (laughs) thank you so so much Joe. this has been so much fun yeah super fun excellent start to the week thank you thank you guys Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 